our uh, last song, we will have some wonderful coffee to be had in the Fellowship Hall. Um, and then after a, quick, after a break, we'll have our Sunday school hour if you're able to stay. And adults will be meeting back here. So we are going through 1 Thessalonians. We are finding ourselves this morning in chapter 5. So if you have a Bible or you have it on your technology, you can go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So uh, mom and dad go away for a week. And they leave their three teenagers home (laughs) alone. And the kids know that Kids know that mom and dad are coming home Friday night. So what does the house look like by Thursday morning? (laughs) What's the house look like by Thursday morning? I had a few pictures. So maybe a lot of dishes cluttered up in the kitchen. Maybe the the house isn't so tidy. When, when does the frantic cleanup begin? Parents are gone all week. And I was a teenager once. I've gone through this. Parents are gone all week, coming home Friday night. When's the cleanup begin? Friday morning. <laughs> Friday morning. If you're lucky, Friday morning, right? Friday afternoon. What's that? Friday 3 p.m. Why? Why? Why wait? to the last minute? Why allow the house to get a mess and the dishes to pile? And why do we wait till Friday at 3 p.m. knowing our folks are coming home at 6? Why? Why do we wait? We think we always have time? We believe in magic? I I thought of, uh, what was it, Dr. Seuss, the cat in the hat, you know, the machine he had? Oh, interesting. Distracted with other things. <laughs> so you might as well only clean the house the day you die, right? I mean, that's, that logic works to the end. Yeah, it it seems, now this isn't true for everyone, obviously, but it seems that we can tend toward apathy and procrastination um, when there's no healthy sense of expectation. As soon as there's a healthy sense of expectation, then we feel like we need to be on task. Without it, we we may find ourselves apathetic. We might found ourselves procrastinating. So let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Paul's continuing some thoughts that we went through last week at the end of chapter 4. He says, Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, 
Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. So, obviously the context of this scripture continues to be dealing with uh, issues of end times. Um, the parousia, that Greek word that talks about the coming of the Lord, the, the second coming, the return of the Lord. And um, I briefly discussed last week that interpretations of the scriptural studies of end times, what's called eschatology, varies greatly. It varies greatly. So depending on your eschatology, even what's spoken of here in the beginning of chapter 5 and at the end of chapter 4, could be from some people's view of end times doctrines. Uh, it could be the, the rapture of the church and then the beginning of the seven-year tribula tribulation, the end days of the earth. Or it could be the one and only second coming of the Lord bringing final judgment. Um, end times options and timelines can make your head spin. Any of you spend a little bit of time looking at eschatology? Um, it, 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 it revolves around the coming of the Lord. Is there a millennial reign, a thousand, literal thousand-year reign? You have amillennialism, postmillennialism, historic premillennialism, dispensational premillennialism. Don't worry if you don't know what any of those things mean. Pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, post-tribulation rapture, simultaneous with the second coming. Again, is, is Jesus' thousand-year millennial reign to be taken literal? Um, is the rapture a separate event from Jesus' return? Does that, does, that event, does that concept even correspond with the rest of Jesus' and the apostles' teaching on end times events? Like I said, it'll make your head spin. There's charts and timelines and graphs, and some people really make it like, we know exactly what's going to happen, and other people are like, you're an idiot, we know exactly what's going to happen. So as I went through this, I, 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 I revisited some of this this week, and uh, I found a lot of comfort in the words of Daniel. It's interesting. A lot of people quote the prophecies of Daniel, the 70 weeks he talks about, not this Daniel, um, the, the Daniel from the Old Testament. A lot of people quote the prophecies of Daniel, uh, talking about end times events and matching it up with Jesus' words in Matthew and matching it up with uh, Revelation. And it's interesting, at the very end of Daniel, um, he gets his last vision, and, and he, he says this. This is found at the, the last chapter of Daniel. He said, very simply, I heard, but I did not understand. <laughs> I heard, I got it, I, I received the news, I'll relay the news, but I'm not going to say I get it all. I'm not going to say I understand everything I'm entering into about things that are yet to come to pass. I heard, but I did not understand. It's interesting, this, uh, this commentator, Joyce Baldwin, comments on this. She said, only after the event can a prophetic word be seen as fulfilled. It does not supply information from which a program can be constructed, for that is not its purpose. 
But boy, do we love to construct programs. So concerning eschatology, I'd suggest that we continue to pray, we continue to seek, we continue to learn, we continue to study, maybe even find some conviction. But I'd also encourage you that as we do that, we hold these things loosely. Boy, the, 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 the Old Testament Israel really thought they understood what the first coming of Messiah was going to look like, right? I just encourage you to hold those things loosely and maybe have Daniel's honest and humble words continually on our minds concerning things that are, have, are, are yet to come to pass. I've heard, but I don't understand. I don't at least fully understand. I'm given enough to look ahead and to hope and to be ready. With that said, this morning we'll approach um, this passage through the lens of what we could say the things that are held in common or um, are, are generally agreed upon in what you may call orthodox, small o, Christian doctrine about end times events. Namely, things like this. The Lord Jesus will return. The Lord Jesus will return to earth. It's... It's commented on over 300 times in the New Testament. Lord Jesus will return. Another thing that's very clear and agreed upon is that there'll be a bodily resurrection of the dead. That that there will be bodies somewhat like ours, not totally like ours. Jesus was the first fruits, the first representation of that resurrected body. But there will be a, a bodily resurrection of the dead. And ultimately, all will be judged. And those who are found in Christ, those who have received Christ as Savior and Lord, will be with God forever because of what Jesus did in the cross and out of the grave. And those who have rejected Christ will be found to remain in their sin and will be separated from God forever. Um, Our passage this morning is closely connected, as I said, with what precedes it. Uh, Paul had addressed the question that seemed to come up about those who are going to physically die before the second coming of the Lord. Are they going to miss out? And Paul's like, they're not going to miss out. In fact, they're going to be, they're going to be, get a front row seat. We talked about that last week. They'll be the first to rise. But now what Paul does is he gives an encouragement to the living, to those who are expectant, those who are waiting. And and in it, he contrasts uh, two conditions in which people will find themselves upon the Lord's return. People will either either find themselves prepared or unprepared. Prepared or unprepared. He he connects the return of the Lord with the day of the Lord. That's something that's spoken of all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's it's a day that, that that God will decisively triumph over his enemies it's a day of reckoning that all men will have to give an account. And, I've, and I, I shared a few weeks ago, even Christians will have to give an account, but we will not be condemned because we'll be found in Christ. We will be judged for what we've done with what we have in Christ. Um, it'll be a day of reckoning, a day of judgment, either unto eternal salvation or wrath. And no matter the timeline, those are the things that we consistently see will come to pass. Uh, Paul first points out that there's no reason for us to even discuss 
the timing of these events. And that's what's so interesting. There's always, what's the time going to be? And, and, and the Bible says over and over and over again, you don't know the time, but yet people still try and predict the time. And Paul had clearly taught them that, that we're not going to talk anymore about timing because there, there's, a twofold, there's a twofold reason for this. First of all, like I said, no one knows when it'll happen. No one knows when the Lord's going to come back. Even as Jesus walked the earth as a man, he said that even the son didn't know. That the fa- it confided with the father. And secondly, its nature will be sudden. It'll be sudden. Um, Jesus taught this using uh, a lot of different il- illustrations, a lot of different parables. He told the parable of the ten virgins that went out and they were waiting for the bridegroom. It sounds like a, a, an episode of The Bachelor or whatever that show is. No, but, so there, there's... Uh, Jody, thank you for laughing. I got one. Uh, so the ten virgins are waiting for the coming of the bridegroom. He's a long time coming. And then finally he comes, and there's only how many that are ready? Five are ready. Five are ready. They had brought extra, they had brought extra oil for their lamps. The other five are like, hey, give me some oil. And they're like, hey, you're not ready. I'm ready. And, and, and it's, supposed to, it's supposed to, again, to, to drive home this sense of being prepared. Um, Jesus talked about uh, the unfaithful steward, that there's a landowner and he, and he trusts his land with, with, w- to a steward, but then he goes away and he's a long time coming back. So the steward ends up gravely taking advantage of that. He gets drunk, he's drinking, he's, he's doing his thing, and, then, and he's also abusing his fellow servants, which is really interesting, right? So he's, 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 he's indulging and he's abusive. Um, but he regrets that when the master finally returns. So somewhat strikingly, Paul and Jesus uh, had done this before him, goes as far as to illustrate Jesus' return as a thief in the night. Some of that, some of you guys get chills about that because you're like my age and you saw those movies back in the 70s and stuff, the thief in the night. But he, he uses this illustration that the return of the Lord will be like a thief in the night. And again, this is to drive home the point of unexpectedness. Um, John Stott says, the trouble with burglars is that they don't tell you when they're coming. They, they, he says, it's not their habit to send a warning postcard. <laughs> hey, by the way, I will be robbing your house Tuesday evening. Paul also illustrates, he says, it's like a woman that, that when her, that's pregnant, that her labor pains suddenly come upon her. And again, here you see that, that the, the, she's pregnant. She knows she's pregnant, so something is inevitably going to happen. But clearly, she doesn't know the precise, predictable moment. Like I said, many through the years, though, still hearing these words, hearing the words of the Lord, predict dates. But the point seems to be that there will be an element of surprise. <laughs> the point seems to be that, that God wants his children to be more mature than the teenagers that wait till Friday at, th- at 3 p.m. to clean up the house. That there would be a healthy aspect of expectancy. A healthy aspect of expectancy. A man named Michael Holmes says, a proper understanding and awareness of the return of Jesus will energize us in the present. So what is it to be unprepared for that day, and what is it to be prepared for that day? 
Uh, Paul tells us that unpreparedness is the expected condition, we could say, of not of believers, but of those who are yet to know Jesus. Um, those who are pleasant, presently rejecting the security of Christ and looking to themselves, having created kind of a facade of security. And in America, we know about a facade of security, okay? Hey, if, as, long as, we have the, as long as we have the military, as long as we have the right politician, as long as we personally have um, all our insurances and our bank account has so much money, so we, we build this facade of security... And we say, ah, peace and safety. Peace and safety. Uh, but that facade will be shattered. That personal facade, the political facade, the, the material facade of, of peace and safety. It, it's, it, I, I picture it almost like wearing baby swimmies in, in the face of a tidal wave. You know, Peace and safety, I've got my baby swimmies. And, and you have a tidal wave coming at you. Jesus paralleled this with, with the flood of Noah. He says this in Matthew chapter 24. He says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the, in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with, at the handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming... He would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you, must be re you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Paul likens this, this unpreparedness to a couple of words. He uses the word sleep and he uses the, the word drunk, this idea of drunkenness or intoxication. And, and I just want to note that the word sleep here is a different Greek word than the word Paul used to refer to those who had fallen asleep, who had died in Christ before his return. Uh, the word that's used here in Scripture is a, is, is a word that's often used that would describe what we might call moral indifference. Moral indifference. Kind, kind of a, a showing a lazy regard to what God calls good, right, just, and fair. So, so it's a concern with, with self-indulgence um, rather than a concern of honoring the Lord and what can I do to be helping those in need. Along with this, Paul speaks of drunkenness. And again, this is a picture. It's a metaphor that he's painting. He's, he, it's, it's this idea that, that this, this getting drunk is a picture of, of giving ourselves over to indulgence to the point that we lose control and, and our minds are no longer clear. We kind of have this, kind of have this fuzzy, um, fuzzy outlook on, on life. We, um, excuse me for one minute. 
we numb ourselves. We, we are fuzzy-minded, vulnerable. And we could do that with things like materialism. Um, we can do that with things like um, worldly pleasure or a false security in money. Um, and all this Paul pictures taking place in the dark. And the reason Paul pictures it this way is because darkness all throughout Scripture is, is considered the, the realm of evil. It, it's the place where, where people are lost. It's a place where people are alienated from God. Um, it's a place where people uh, are, are, don't, don't understand who the Lord is. They're darkened in their thinking. And this is the condition of unpreparedness. Walking through life morally and spiritually drunk, asleep, and in the dark. That's what it is to be unprepared. Um, I do want to note, though, and, and I do want to remind you, that when we talk about God's judgment and we talk about those who will be unprepared and we talk about even these words of being swept away and destruction, we have to be reminded that God has no desire to judge even the sinner. I, 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 I got to admit that, that I, sometimes my stomach turns when I hear Christians speak of God's judgment with almost kind of a gleeful satisfaction. I'm reminded of what Peter says. He says, but, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the, the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is what? Anybody know? Patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's the heart of the Lord. Why hasn't he returned yet? Because he's patient. Why hasn't he returned yet? Because his desire is that sinners turn to him and be saved. That's the heart of God. But then Paul, Peter continues, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise... We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that it is the Lord's patience that means salvation. And then he says, just as our brother Paul has written to you. So if you don't know Jesus, I encourage you. He is waiting for you. If you don't know Jesus, he's waiting for you. He's being patient. He's, he's holding back the flood, so to speak. But there will come a day that the door on the God's ark of salvation will close. Don't test his patience. Come to him in repentance and faith. That's what he wants. That's the desire of his heart. As for Christians, this day should not catch us off guard. 
Uh, we should be those who are saved out of darkness and into the light. Jesus is the light of the world. We're adopted into God's family. Paul says we are therefore sons of the light and sons of the day. We should live lives that are characterized by the light of God. A lot of you guys do, I don't know how many hours you see, but I always think, you know, that deer, you know, you talk about alertness. Those who hunt, they, they know a deer catches any little sound. Whoop. So what does preparedness look like? It's the opposite of sleep and intoxication that's associated with darkness. It's to be alert, to kind of have a, a mental and spiritual awareness that leads us toward expectancy. The alertness is sharpened. It's sharpened as we're walking with Jesus every day, as we're in prayer and in his word. And it's to be sober. And that doesn't mean joyless. That means, again, to be clear-headed, avoiding the things that will intoxicate us, that not, not being overindulgent. It's okay to have some comfort. It's okay to have some pleasure. It's okay to have some entertainment. But when we're overindulgent... And then we're just, we're intoxicated in these things and we're fuzzy minded and have a hazy regard for the Lord. That's the opposite of what it is to be sober minded, clear minded. Again, John Stotts puts it, he says that we shouldn't be yawning our way through life in our pajamas. <laughs> we shouldn't be yawning our way through life in our pajamas, but rather attentive to his will. Paul connects these thoughts, as he does elsewhere, with the vigilance of a soldier. So instead of kind of this lazy spiritual and ethical indifference, we're to have the threefold virtues that he brought up in chapter 1, of this faith and love and hope and walking in faith and not by sight and being committed to the best of others. And in, as we walk that way, it'll be a, a breastplate to guard our hearts. And we're to have a hope of, of the assurance of what is to come, the salvation is to come. And that's like a helmet guarding our minds. Now, does this mean that sometimes as a kid I used to think, what does it mean to be ready? Does it mean I have to kind of be like mindful of it every second of the day? Like, how do you do that? And, and I think, again, to think that way is, is kind of missing the point. Paul's already discouraged uh, a sort of constant gazing to the clouds that, that causes us to neglect everyday, everyday life's diligence and productivity. The point is that when the Lord comes, I mean, even the angel said at the ascension, right, why are you looking up in the clouds? He's going to come back the way he went. The point isn't that we're to be constantly gazing up to the clouds. The point is, is that when he returns, he finds us faithful. He finds us faithful. Faithful stewards of his kingdom. Faithful stewards of the faith. Faithful stewards of the gospel, of love, of salvation. Jesus wonders out loud in, in Luke 18, uh, chap, uh, chapter 18, verse 8. He says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? It's quite a question for the Son of Man, the Son of God to ask. When he comes, suddenly unexpectedly will he find faith on the earth. So I think many of us are left with a question here. For the Christian, should the prospect of the Lord's return be a comfort or a terror? 
And I think what we should see here is that as much as Paul is encouraging an expected vigilance and faithfulness among believers, he's not trying to increase their anxiety about the Lord's return. He's trying to quell it. Paul reassures us that God, of what God has appointed for the believer. We are not destined for wrath. We are not destined for that final judgment, eternal separation. We will be delivered from wrath unto salvation because of Jesus. Forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, restoration, eternal life. And we are certain of this because opposed to the false security that, that people have in the world... Our peace and safety rests squarely on one fact. He died for us. Jesus died for you. That's your peace and security. So he's not trying to, he's not trying to rally these feelings of anxiety. He's trying to quell it. You're not appointed for wrath if you're in Christ. You are appointed for salvation. Growing up, I used to hate when my father came home from work. I, I used to, I, I was afraid. And my father was sporadically angry. He was often harsh, sometimes abusive. And, and at times, my mother would use that. And she'd say, wait till your father comes home. Wait till your father comes home. And I dreaded when he came home. And that I could still hear that ringing in my head. Wait till your father comes home. But you know what? Too often I think Christians look at the return of the Lord that way. Wait till your father comes home. And you're like, is, that, is it supposed to be a comfort or a terror? Because God's not like my abusive father. Right? He's a loving daddy. I've been adopted as a son. Jesus told us, do not let your hearts be troubled when he was talking about his return. He spoke of his return as bringing us home to a safe place with his father. Uh, Titus 2.3 calls it our blessed hope. Hebrews 9.28 says that, that Jesus will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Peter tells us that we are to set our hope fully on the grace to be given us it, when Je Jesus Christ is revealed. Jesus says that at that time we should lift up our heads because our redemption is near. That's, think about that posture. When you're afraid of your dad coming home, it's cowering. When you're joyful that he's com coming home, you're lifting up your head because your redemption is near. Next to the last verse of the whole Bible, we hear Jesus saying, yes, I am coming soon. And the appropriate response is, amen, come, Lord Jesus. For the believer, this is not to be a terror, but a comfort. Whether awake or asleep, we will be with the Lord. The day of resurrection and transformation the salvation of every believer, weak or strong, will be finally realized. A quick quote. I wonder. Uh, I don't have it. Sorry. And it's this thought as Paul wraps up. 
that we are to encourage one another with. And then he reminds us that the church community is supposed to be a place of mutual encouragement. Mutual encouragement. As friends and family, you think of a marathon, friends and family cheering the runners on, always encouraging one another. And the encouragement is that the Lord will return. And not only that, that the Lord will return with salvation in his hand for those who have received by faith that Jesus died for them. Amen? And the encouragement is that one day we will be with him forever. That's our blessed hope. As Romans 8.39 says, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's that great love that we are to speak to one another and encourage one another with, edify one another with, to be strengthened in comfort. So Lord Jesus, we just pray. And we pray only in boldness because we are confident in you. Confident in what you have done for us, that you died for us to pay for our sins, that you rose from the dead victorious over our death. In that blessed hope, Lord God, we pray. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Um, Dr. Tim Keller always like used to uh, share uh, in his rec- lecture about his uh, dream. Like most thing, uh, the most terrifying thing that he experienced was nightmare that his wife uh, died in his dream. Um, and later on, he he he's kept dreaming on that, and later on he realized that he he somehow it's very strangely he found the comfort in that dream. Because he realized whenever he woke up, that was just a dream. Um, so I hope uh, we take this message that Lord's coming. Um, and then as we face our daily struggles and trials, whatever we face, uh, difficulties, um, let us remember when the Lord comes, it will be just like a dream. Um, so we just stand up with us. Mm-hmm.